Hey, Don. Hello, Zach. This week, Thanksgiving is here. And with COVID, it has destroyed my family's plans. We will not be seeing our grandparents this year based upon CDC recommendations. Has Thanksgiving changed your family's plans? Oh, yeah. We are uh, going to be hanging out here ourselves, Cornish hens and the four of us and our three dogs, maybe a fire outside. It'll be good times, but not the same as normal. Sadly, I was talking with my mother yesterday about, hey, maybe we could coordinate our meals and we could all eat over Zoom. And I just thought like, yeah, I guess that's something. It's something we can do. And it just kind of reminded me of how much COVID continues to impact America here. It does. And it is what it is. It's about keeping people safe and seems like numbers are skyrocketing. Our friend Tyler Cowan just posted yesterday that the death curve has turned vertical. Things are not good. And it's a lot worse than March, although people don't seem to be acting like it's worse than March, but it is. That's true. I mean, we're at 200,000 new cases a day. And uh, obviously, there's a lot of positive vaccine news, but it's going to take many months until that thing can roll through. But because it is Thanksgiving, it made me think about an article I read back in 2013. It was from Slate Magazine. The article was interesting because they kind of said, how would American journalists cover Thanksgiving as if they were looking at it from like an international event? Maybe you've read stories where the American media talks about a local tradition in another country, and they kind of look at it through like the lens of like, this is sort of bizarre. Maybe you think about like the running of the bulls and they say something like in Pamplona, Spain, every year a city gets up and runs through the streets as bulls chase them. And sometimes people die, but people regularly do this as a tradition. And we kind of read it and then we sort of think, well, that's odd. Well, imagine if people wrote about Thanksgiving as if it was just sort of this quirky, strange holiday. And so here's the best paragraph I read. They said, Washington, D.C. On Wednesday morning, this normally bustling capital city became a ghost town as most of its residents embark on the long journey to their home villages for an annual festival of family, food, and questionable historical facts. Experts say the day is vital for understanding American society and economists are increasingly taking note of its impact on the world economy. The annual holiday known as Thanksgiving celebrates a mythological moment of peace between Americans, early foreign settlers, and its native groups, a day that by Americans' own admission preceded a near genocide of those groups. Despite its murky origins, the holiday remains a rare institution celebrated almost universally in this ethnically diverse society. And Don, the article just kind of goes on to break down how we travel during this time, what we eat, the entertainment, and of course, the shopping afterwards. What does this make you think of when you kind of read an article about Thanksgiving? Oh, it reminds me of sitting down to Thanksgiving dinner with some family members and the extended family and having my uncle talk about how the uh, white Europeans showed the Indians how to raise corn and so forth. And I sat there kind of shaking my head and my dad grabbing my leg underneath the table saying, just just roll with it. Just roll with it. <laughs> it is interesting how we think about this event. I mean, just the other day, my children were making pilgrim outfits. We still do that even though it's been pretty much proven that nobody really dressed like that. I dressed up as Governor Blanchard for a Thanksgiving pageant back when I was in the second grade. And 
During that time, we had half of our class dressing up like Native Americans with the stereotypical like feather coming out of their head kind of thing. And you just think how we don't really do a lot of that. But there still is this great myth about the founding, the first Thanksgiving, which people report was 1621, based upon the people that lived in the Plymouth Colony with the Indians. What do you think we get wrong about this part, Don? I think nearly everything. First of all, there weren't Indians, they're Native Americans. We use terms like squaw, which are tremendously offensive. It's not a good tradition. However, if you look about it in a different way, and that is that Thanksgiving was more or less not celebrated until after the Civil War. Then after the Civil War, Lincoln reinstituted it as a way to come together as a nation. And in that sense, I find a little bit of merit in the idea of coming together with people that may think differently from you and may feel differently from you, but trying to be unified. And that aspect of it has a lot of merit and something we can rally around. But the idea of the original and the Native American tropes and whatnot are pretty disturbing. No, that's a good point. I think a lot of people sometimes confuse the idea that since 1621, Americans have been celebrating Thanksgiving. And really, it seems more like it was a locally celebrated holiday, mostly in New England among some people. As you said, Lincoln made it a national holiday, basically to try to bring people together during the the horrors of the Civil War. Apparently, FDR moved it to the second Thursday of November to try to increase shopping. He did that for two years. It was so unpopular that he went back and made a law to bring it back to the last Thursday of Thanksgiving. I had no idea about that. There was a book I read a couple of years ago called Mayflower. It was all about the first pilgrims and really the first settlers of New England in America. And they said basically the first settlers that came seemed to have forged a cooperative relationship with the Native Americans or somewhat of a cooperative relationship. And there was somewhat of a first meal and a somewhat of a thanks of of survival during what was very uncertain times. And what seems to have come, though, was the next generations of kids who slowly didn't realize how bad mom and dad maybe had it or the grandparents had it when they first got there or quickly forgot the relationship with the Native Americans and how important that was to survival. Because then what you see is King Philip's War by 1770 or 1675, 1676, you see the bloodiest conflict in American history still to date from a per capita basis, like 5% of the New England population died in these horrific, bloody, nasty, brutal wars with the Native people. And you just kind of see how quickly and fragile cooperation can leave when people sort of forget how important people need people. Well, absolutely. And when the Native American, when the British arrived, they found the fields were open and plowed because the Native Americans had been decimated by European diseases brought over by European conquistadors, settlers, whatever you want to call them. And these wars were nasty and awful. And they put Medicon's head on a spike outside the village to let people know that there is death here. It really reminded me of a show that I've started to get into with my family called The 100. It is the space people come back and they're faced with the grounders, which are the native people that are still in the earth after a nuclear holocaust. And it goes much the same way. They're quickly into territorial fights and fighting off invaders and going for the best. I mean, that was kind of the way things rolled in that time period. There wasn't much cooperation. Like now, where we quickly welcome others into our territory and uh, give them what we can. 
Well, American history does seem littered with kind of a general theme of the first person to get to a new area in America usually found cooperation with the local native inhabitants. And then only as more and more people come and more and more people don't have an appreciation for that initial rise in cooperation, do we see the horrors and the the racism and the land grab start to happen where sort of it gets negative. And I agree with you. I think there is a dark kind of cloud that hangs over the holiday. But I also do think there is that spirit of getting together with friends and family, that spirit of wanting to come together. And clearly that's also a major part of Thanksgiving. It's kind of one of those things that makes it sort of depressing to think that a lot of people aren't going to be able to go through with the tradition this year due to COVID. Yeah, I mean, there's certainly something to be had for people to come together as families. Um, I think the isolation that many people, especially older people, are facing at the moment puts them at a crossroads where they have their physical health, which is best served by them staying isolated, and their mental health, which would be best served by them interacting with others. And they have to look at that crossroad and pick a path. It's a rough time. And really, with the looks of this vaccine, we're only maybe one to four months away from being able to resume a more normal life, it's a tough time, but I feel like we got to wait it out. No, that's true. The article, just I want to read another sentence from it. They talk about the travel aspect of Thanksgiving. As you were saying, so many people are now isolated, having to stay from home. And again, this was written in 2013, but they wrote, during the holiday, more than 38.4 million Americans will make the long pilgrimage home, traveling an average of 214 miles over congested highways, often in inclement weather. Many more people will fly. Don, it just sort of reminds you of sort of the lengths and the adventure that people will go to just to get home for this one meal. As somebody who lives in Traverse City, regularly will drive at least almost 200 miles, almost right at the average to go see my parents. Sometimes my wife's mother will come all the way from Minnesota just for this one meal. And it does sort of make you think, man, the meaning behind all of this. Well, absolutely. And I remember one Thanksgiving when I was living in Palm Springs, California, and my family all from Michigan came out to visit for Thanksgiving. We had a Thanksgiving supper and my parents flew in and my brother flew in. And between all of them, they flew in and out in four consecutive days. Somebody was arriving or leaving and I was driving to an airport an hour and a half away every day. Yes, people will go to lengths to do it. And it was wonderful for the brief moment I wasn't in the car over four days. You know, I guess what will be interesting is when the final statistics are sort of tallied up, because I was seeing a news report just yesterday that was showing the airports are going to be crowded. People are expecting a lot of people to fly. It does make me wonder how many people are going through with their regular Thanksgiving plans. I hope we're tracking data. It'd be really interesting to see if we can do this busy weekend and people will travel, they will fly, and hopefully they will not get sick. And if we can keep track of that, maybe that's good signs for what's going to happen in the future. I certainly would like to get back flying. I know I have credits with Delta Airlines from an abandoned trip last year, and I really hope to take the trip this year with my family. Well, hopefully Thanksgiving will keep the company solvent for you. (laughs) That's all I hope for because I have credits in them. If they go bankrupt, I'm in trouble. Of course, food, another major part of Thanksgiving. And here's what the Slate article said. It said, 
Once home, the holiday traditions encourage Americans to consume massive quantities of food centered around the turkey, a flightless and some would say tasteless bird native to the American continent. All in all, 46 million of these animals will be slaughtered for the feast, nearly 20% of those raised each year. The average American will consume an almost unbelievable 4,500 calories despite ongoing warnings about dangerous obesity rates nationally. What do you think about the food, Don? I am not a fan of turkey. I love the stuffing. I love the cranberries. I'm all aboard on those two, but the stu- the turkey itself, I could take or leave. That said, it is uh, it is a bit of a tradition. We're not going to go with it this year because I don't think any of my family really, really wants the turkey, but it is something that people enjoy. I enjoy the festive atmosphere sitting around and hanging out with people, but I have eaten so much to the point where I felt like I was going to vomit more than once. Oh, totally. Everybody overeats. And then the the moment you feel like there's 1% room in your stomach, you just start snacking around again, right? There's so much butter laden food. It's all heavy in carbs, lots of salt. But I too am with you with turkey. Like, I don't really like it that much. My wife and I were like, why are we going to get a turkey when nobody really wants it? I was like, okay, let's get a, a chicken instead. Not that chicken is that much better either, but I've been like talking to other friends who are also staying home. Nobody's getting a turkey. And it makes me wonder, is this the year that like people just sort of stop doing turkeys? We've talked about all the other traditions, all the other behaviors in America that are slowly getting broken due to COVID. Is this the year that all of a sudden like major turkey consumption goes way down? And does that change how people eat Thanksgiving in the future? I think maybe more turkeys with smaller turkeys will get eaten. Maybe there'll be a shortage of little ones. Yeah, I people are all about it. They love the, I know people love it. They deep fry them. They do all sorts of crazy stuff. It is what it is. It's part of the tradition. And I think next year, people will be even more into it because they missed out on it this year. Because I think next Thanksgiving is going to be more or less normal. In general, though, like, I can't say I get that excited for the food. I kind of get excited when my mom makes stuffing, I guess, just because I don't usually eat it. But after that, I really can take or leave just this really heavy, rich meal. Am I just being a boo bear? Or do you think I'm on to something? Do you think most Americans get excited about Thanksgiving food? Oh, I think they enjoy just sitting around and eating and not having to do things. I enjoy traveling and going to my parents' house because there's nothing for me to do. Around here, I have there's always something to do. If it's not cooking, it's cleaning or putting something away or fixing something. I enjoy traveling for many reasons, but one of them is even if my parents' house an hour away, there's nothing for me to fix. I can just relax for a little bit. I can sit down. I can hang out with people. I can see my folks who I really enjoy. That's true. And that is usually the best part about Thanksgiving, seeing people you maybe haven't seen before or not feeling like you have anywhere else you need to go to. And you're right. You're just kind of there and you're just sort of eating copious amounts of calories all day long. And usually the whole week becomes just an eating week as the next day you got leftovers. Or I'm always amazed you start driving around the day after Thanksgiving and the restaurants are just packed. And of course, Wednesday night is like the biggest bar night of the year. It just seems like people just forget about how to eat responsibly during this time. Oh, yeah. I have a good friend in California who went home for the holidays and came back and said he gained 10 pounds in about a week. And I was just marveling at that ability to do so. Yeah, absolutely. People want to go out and do something. They uh, don't want to cook the day after Thanksgiving, so they go out for a restaurant for a breakfast. I don't know. I think it's a good time to... uh, get a good workout in to get a sweat, go outside if it's not snowing as it is here in Michigan today. The other major part, of course, of Thanksgiving, at this point, people are like, oh, eating and football. And the Slate Magazine article said this, 
Virtually the only break from the eating comes when Americans gather around the television to watch a special presentation of football, the country's most popular sport. If the brutal violence of the game seems at odd with the holiday's emphasis on thanks and goodwill, no one seems to mind. Don, do you watch football as well? I almost never watch Thanksgiving football. I'm usually happy to talk or hang out with whomever's around and have a conversation. I have never watched a Lions football game. I will never watch a Lions football game. Seems like a loss of value and time. However, I do in my mind picture John Madden with a turkey with six legs on it, and that is somehow special in my mind. I used to always love watching at the end of the game when John Madden would give out a big turkey leg and then he kind of awkwardly like make a player start eating it and they would just like, you know, dive in there. And there's just something about watching another human just eat a turkey leg that's kind of gross and, and appalling. And yet, strangely, you can't turn away from it either. Absolutely. I'd be, I think they should show a video of John Madden talk about it every year. Thank God. I think he's still with us, but he's got to be pretty old. Despite the fact that now his legacy isn't turkeys, it's a video game, which makes him millions and millions, if not billions of dollars at this point. Just on to John Madden, besides him giving us the turkey leg tradition, I always used to like too when he would take the yellow pen highlighter that he could draw over the screen and then it would be like the fourth quarter of a Dallas Cowboy game and he would just circle some player's butt. He'd be like, look at all that sweat. It's going all the way down to his knees. That guy's been working hard. And I just always thought that was awkward. I do like John Madden, and there's an article that I'm sure you read about the first time that when Madden was created, and when he created the video game, he was with a code writer who was only, Madden was only willing to give his name if the game was real, in that you could call specific plays, if it matched the fundamentals of the game, if there's real thought behind it. And this guy rode the train with John Madden back and forth across the country before he took a bus to talk to Madden for hours and hours and hours to develop this game. It's really a kind of neat story about a guy who really enjoys a sport, wants the game to be representative of that sport, and another person that's willing to put in the time and energy to make this a legitimate situation. And so in a way, Madden is my favorite game, despite the fact that I've never played it. John Madden also let Bobby the Brain Heenan, the WWF manager, he made him one of the all Madden team coaches once because of how smart he was at being a wrestling manager. So I've always respected that too. Did that have King Kong Bundy work on the offensive line? He would have made a good uh, offensive lineman, probably. Him and Andre the Giant, he probably could have ran between them. Yeah, football. I don't know. The Lions lose every year. It's always interesting to just hear America kind of complain that they have to watch another Lions game because every year the Lions are usually pretty bad. And they never provide that sort of meaningful of a game. It seems like the NFL would love to get rid of the Lions, but then the Ford family has always basically threatened that if you take us off of Thanksgiving, we will pull all of our advertisement from television and therefore it just seems like poor america has to watch the lions be this horrific football team every year and so sad for those people who have spent their lives watching the lions lose that said i am not watching michigan football this season as they are losing and i am apparently a fair weather fan yeah hey it's uh, another really bad year for michigan sports that's for sure the final part about Thanksgiving, of course, is the shopping. It seems like every year now, the shopping has increasingly become a larger and larger part of Thanksgiving. And here's what the article said. They said, traditionally, the Friday and weekend following Thanksgiving have been set aside for another American institution, intense consumer activity and bargain shopping. 
More than $59 billion will be spent over these days, though the exact figure will be watched closely by economists looking for clues about the country's national mood and economic well-being. The event is known as Black Friday, though contrary to popular belief, this is not due to the injuries and deaths that periodically occur during retail stampedes. Don, are you racing out there to go to Walmart to get a flat screen to step on somebody's throat? I have not done this before. Well, I have done this before. One time my kids got up at 4.30 in the morning when they were very young. And so we looked at each other and said, I guess we'll go Black Friday shopping because we're up. And we walked around. It was kind of interesting. I know I do not engage in this. I'm more intrigued with like the kind of train wreck atmosphere of somebody getting stepped on, somebody getting kicked, somebody getting trampled on the way in to get that one TV. Although TVs are so affordable now. I don't know what happened, but I went to Best Buy with my kids the other day and a 75-inch TV is like $800. It's crazy. Black Friday used to be like 6 a.m. on Friday. And now what I've noticed over the last decade is all of these major retailers are competing for those first shoppers that are ready to spend. And then all of a sudden it became 12 o'clock at night, right? And then it became like 10 p.m. on Thanksgiving. And now Black Friday seems to begin on the morning of Thanksgiving. In fact, Thanksgiving seems to have become this sort of weird shopping holiday. And it makes me wonder if there's been this strange creep to kind of discredit and discount Thanksgiving. It seems like now shopping has become the, the biggest focus. I know a lot of people that immediately after they eat, they're going shopping or some people miss the meal because they need to get in line at a store that's opening up. Do you feel like that's happening at all or am I reading it wrong? No, there's the slippery slope there where the first retailers kind of moved over earlier and earlier trying to capture these buyers. And they're just sliding down to whatever lowest common denominator we can get. I think ultimately, though, the internet deals are just as good as being in person. Can't we just search online and set it up and just buy? Or is Amazon Day taking <laughs> Prime Day taking over? I don't know. Maybe it's because I have too much stuff. I don't really care that much anymore. And again, you and I are probably not typical Americans when it comes to wanting to go out and go shopping. We probably consume the calories like most Americans, but this seems to be a bigger and bigger part. In fact, I was just sort of writing down and I was thinking about that Slate article and I was like, wait a second, Thanksgiving. It's about eating and drinking a lot. It's about watching football and it's about doing a ton of shopping. And all of a sudden I was like, well, isn't that like every weekend in America? Is Thanksgiving really that different anymore? <laughs> American exceptionalism. That's just, a, it's a glutton's life. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I don't really engage in this. If I eat a lot, I don't want to drink a lot. It, it just doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. I don't know. I don't know. You've lost me. Maybe I'm not the common American. I just wonder if Thanksgiving is losing its value. I've talked about this a little bit with you. I just do wonder if the day itself, while we still hold it up as a sacred day, I just wonder if more people see it as two days off from work for the most part, but is it losing its meaning? As you and I said, the meaning is solid, right? Bringing people together, bringing families together. I still think people are doing that, but then I think of all the retail workers that are sort of expected to give up their now day so that they can be there ready for the Black Friday shopping. I think of all of the multiple football games and sporting events that people sort of plan their meal around, and I don't know. It also is so close to Christmas, which has a lot of similar ideas behind it. Is it possible that 
we've lost Thanksgiving and it's time to move it to halfway, maybe to July. I, I propose the thanks of July just to space it out, to make it maybe give it more meaning than it has right now. I will say this. I think Thanksgiving is like the real breaking point. You know, in a normal school year, I feel like if you get to Thanksgiving, the school year is half over because once there's Thanksgiving, then you're on to the holidays and pretty quick you're in the new year and it's spring break before you know it. It's a break from the monotony of maybe too many kids sports, maybe too many commitments. And you have these days to just kind of recharge, put away, do your leaves or whatnot and be ready for the coming holiday season. But it's so weird. I, like many others, am home right now with my family. Everybody's at home. So it's not like there's a break where, okay, we're all at home. We can have some time together. We've had nothing but time together for the last seven months. For us, it's trying to figure out what we're going to do. Are we going to play a new board game? Are we going to do something else? Are we going to find a new show to watch? It's so different in this era. And I think next year, people real, will really want to get back to it. It's just so weird in this year. That's a really good point. You're right. A lot of families like ours that aren't going to be traveling or, or seeing distant relatives, all we've been doing is having family meals together since March, right? And therefore, does this really become the worst Thanksgiving ever? Pass the salt. People are just sort of like, ugh, do I really have to sit down again? Can I just go in my room? Like, I do wonder if maybe the family meal has become a little overrated at this point for the 2020. I find myself researching things to say at supper. And I told my wife this, I told you this, I was reading articles trying to figure out what would be most interesting. And there's one that you and I talked about, treasure hunting, that I thought would be interesting to mention it for the dinner. I researched other meal things to talk about. Turns out of my five things I mentioned at supper, it was NBA free agency, which got my kids excited. So yeah, we've done a lot of family meals. We do normally do a lot of family meals, but there's no, uh, it's hard to find that special moment because there is just so much of the normal. We don't have any kids' sports going on. My son's basketball season's postponed, at least. We're not going to see distant family. It's just kind of going on. I feel like it's a marathon, and we're about 18 miles in, looking at the last eight miles, just trying to get through to vaccine time. That's right. And the weather's getting darker and getting colder, and everybody's just more trapped inside. Happy Thanksgiving. Hey, I just hope there's a lot of snow. We go skiing a bunch. That's good. Yeah, something to look forward to. Although probably with global climate change, this will be the year where they can't even get enough snow made, right? Oh, gosh, I hope not. That's not what we need this year. I just want to ask you about this article in general, because I sort of appreciate the idea of trying to look at America from sort of how American journalists look at other countries. There's a little bit of tongue in cheek. There's a little bit of humor. There's a little bit of, isn't this strange? And at the beginning, I talked about how like, you might see a journalist write about the running of the bulls, or maybe you've heard of in China, they have Singles Day, which is this major shopping holiday for nobody in a relationship. Or in Australia, they have this thing called the Melbourne Cup, which is like the race that stops the whole country. And if you read about an American journalist writing about it, it's like, oh, isn't this kind of silly or quaint? Do you think more events in America should be written by this? Because I do feel like it gives you a way to think about our own culture or kind of hold up a mirror to ourselves and just kind of chuckle at ourselves and say, my, look at our strange behavior. 
Well, I've been to the running of the Bulls at Pamplona, and they told me it's only the Americans that get gored by the Bulls because they're the only ones dumb enough to get close to the Bulls. And yes, it was crazy, and I kind of like the outsider perspective, but I don't know if most Americans want to hold up the mirror. You always bring up American uh, exceptionalism, which I'm not sure I'm a huge believer in, and that I don't think Americans want to hold up the mirror. They want to say, no, no, we are exceptional. We don't want to look at this from another perspective. Maybe, and I do think... Every place can have its own exceptionalism. And I think Thanksgiving in general proves that we have some sort of exceptionalism because of look at all of the things that we're doing. We are willing to travel far to go and to see family, right? We are willing to eat copious amounts of calories and sit around a TV with relatives that we may not agree with on a lot of issues sometimes, all in the sake of tradition, just like other nations have their own exceptionalism through the traditions that they've developed. I just think it's interesting because I've never really stopped to think about all of the things this article points out about kind of how absurd this holiday just sort of is. And yet I think Americans would fight tooth and nail to make sure that we continue to keep Thanksgiving as a holiday. Would you agree? Oh, absolutely. But we don't want to give up any holidays. And so, yeah, that makes sense. I do think, like you said, the idea of sitting across the table from somebody that doesn't have the same political beliefs from you, I think would be good. And that would be something that we miss out on this year. I would like to sit across the table from my people that believe opposite of me in politics and just have a reasonable discussion about things. Right. And I guess my question would be is, how reasonable are those conversations anymore? Are people still able to talk? And I do think ultimately most people can, but you're right. It will be kind of a year off for a lot of people, Not obviously not for everybody. And it does make me wonder what is the 2021 Thanksgiving going to be like? It's going to be dark and cold and lonely. <laughs> um, well, I want to move on from this idea of shopping a little bit. There's another article that you and I have read about 20 years ago, there was a economics professor who just sort of started studying shopping and started shopping and started studying the Christmas holiday shopping more specifically. And he had a class of students and he basically like surveyed them all. And he just said, I'd like you guys to all write down what you got for Christmas. And then he said, I would like you guys to all now write down in dollar amounts, how much do you value what you got? Like maybe you got a tie or you got a chair or you got a stuffed animal or a sweater in dollar amounts. How much would you pay for that? And if somebody wrote down like $10, that's, that's what they wrote down. But then he said, I'd like you to now go research what the retail value of that item really is. And so if somebody got a sweater and they said, well, I value that sweater at $10, they then research it and they say that sweater is actually a $20 sweater for an economist. That's a $10 loss in value. And that value is called dead weight loss. And there's this whole study that's been done about the dead weight loss of Christmas. And the whole point being people buy gifts for other people. And ultimately, people usually tend to not value the gift that they're given at the same amount that the person paid for it. And therefore, Christmas is just one big economic loss. What do you think about this, Don? Love this concept. I did it in AP micro class this week. We're studying deadweight loss and how it applies to taxes. And then we also discussed the gift giving as an introduction to the concept. I think it's super interesting. As the uh, receiver of many bad gifts, it brings back memories of gifts that I... <laughs> I received when I was a freshman in high school, my mom told me she was going to get me a globe for Christmas. And I said, please, mom, don't. Well, on Christmas morning, guess what I opened, Zach? 
You got a globe. And I still have that globe, and it has the Soviet Union on it, and Germany is divided. It was an out-of-date globe even then, but she got it for me. I don't think I valued it near what she spent. I also once received gloves from a relative, and they were size medium. I'm six foot six with gigantic hands. They were not even close to the value that was spent. I received very little. But I guess that's not the point. I guess the point is if people really intend to get you a gift that they really think you're going to value, then you are trying at a fleeting task, which is to give something to somebody that they really value more than you spent. And that's the true challenge, but also shows the true care. I was talking about this with my wife and she's familiar with the article and the concept. And she said, well, yes, by your sense, you should give everybody cash because when you give them cash, they receive 100% of what you give. But that doesn't put any thought into it. The whole point of a gift is to really put into thought and to try to think what that person would enjoy. And there's precious few gifts that I've given that have really generated more happiness than what I spent on it. But those are very big highlights for me, and that's what I seek out for for the people I really care for. And that's, I think, what we should take away from the article, is that don't give bad gifts. The worst gift I ever got was I was living in Egypt, and there was this Egyptian lady who was a very nice lady, and she was so excited to give me a gift and and I opened it up and it was a double XL woman's jean jacket. It didn't fit me. It, it buttoned opposite. I didn't even know female jean jackets button that way. I don't even like jean coats. I've never saw myself as kind of a, a jean coat guy. And I just remember thinking like, and I, and I had a big smile. I, I thanked her profusely. I wore it for a night. And now I don't even know where that gene code is. But I just remember thinking, I have zero value for this. And what a mismatch of what this person spent. It was obviously an expensive coat to what I valued it, which was pretty much at a zero dollar value. Yeah, but I mean, I think you could take away from it that the goodwill that this woman felt for you. I mean, clearly in Egypt, a jean jacket is not easy to find. And you are a large fellow. Maybe if you were a woman, you'd be a double X woman. But you're it does fitting. And it's something that's nice that she put out there. Even if you didn't enjoy it, you had to take away the idea that this woman cared about you. That's true. I, I probably should have put a cigarette in my ear, too, just to um, finish off the look. Maybe a red headband or something on my head. Um, yes. And talk about how you love it and your uh, favorite movie about dancing. But I guess what, what you're arguing is get better gifts. And according to this study, we're terrible at buying gifts. One of the interesting like t tables that is in the original economic article, and I will be posting a link so that you can go read this thing, is they said, okay, well, hey, the further you get out on the family tree, the worse people get at finding their gifts. And the economist here has something called percentage yield. And they're like, basically, how much did you value it? How much did the item value itself? And they said that the significant other in your life, so your wife, your girlfriend, has about a 91% yield rate, meaning... You know, if you valued it at $9, there was probably a cost of $10. So a pretty good hit rate, right? Your parents have an 86% yield rate. Not bad. Siblings, also an 86% hit rate. Probably you're telling your parents what you wanted or your brother or sister what you wanted, and they're going out and getting it. However, grandparents, 62% hit rate. That's horrific. Aunt and uncle, 64% hit rate. And it kind of just goes to show these people are going out. They're just taking big swings with a baseball bat, trying to get you a gift you want. And for the most part, we're striking out. And you again say, well, get better gifts. Well, clearly we're bad at it. 
So what's just so wrong with giving cash then? That's at least a 100% value. So I mentioned this article with all my students and I asked them who give the best gifts and who give the worst gifts. And my students, for the most part, universally said their siblings gave terrible gifts, primarily maybe because they're stuck together at the moment and don't have, no, don't have any other outlook. But one student said, well, my grandfather takes me shopping and we spend the afternoon together and he helps me find, and I find something I really like and he gets it for me. And I thought that's neat because the real gift is the time that the grandfather got with the child rather than the actual gift itself. And for the kid, it's the gift. However, yeah, you're right. People aren't very good at gift giving. And the less they know the people, the harder it is. And it's a real challenge. I think it really puts us in a place where we should know people better. And that's what, what the lesson is in my mind. Now, that's a good point. Does this just say that collectively as family members, extended family members, we're just not spending enough time together and therefore we really have no clue what each other wants. It does though make me think about the rise in gift cards. I feel like over the last 15, 20 years, gift cards are now thrown around much more heavily. They're much more socially acceptable. The idea being, I don't actually need to know what Don wants but I know that he would get really excited with a Nike gift card, for instance, and therefore he can go and spend at the Nike store all he wants. Or you just go to like get the Costco gift card or more and more the Amazon gift card, where it's like, I have really no clue what you like, but I, you can probably find it at Amazon, right? Well, and retailers love gift cards because 10% of them are never, ever turned in. So they just pocket the first 10% of the money. Then another big chunk of it is, well, if I get you a, let's say, $20 gift card to an expensive restaurant, well, then you're going to the restaurant or you're not using it. And if you go to the restaurant, you're going to spend way more than the gift card value. Or if I get you a Starbucks gift card, maybe you get into Starbucks coffee and love it and you've now become a loyal Starbucks customer. It's great for Starbucks no matter what you do. It's great for the retailer that sells gift cards, which is why they're sold everywhere and why they are prominently displayed at the exit. And gift cards, for me, I've gotten Trader Joe's gift cards, which I love because I go to Trader Joe's all the time and I'm going to use it. It's just a little bit off my grocery bill. Other gift cards, for the most part, are okay. Sometimes I feel like it's homework, trying to use this before I lose it or get or to go somewhere I don't normally go that I don't think I tremendously enjoy. I think you really am accurately labeled the Amazon gift card as the, I really have no idea, but you can get anything here. It's a win. It's, it, everybody's excited though, right? You, No one's upset if you're giving them a $25 gift card to Amazon for Christmas, that's for sure. I think also stores love it because anybody who goes shopping with a gift card immediately starts looking at bigger ticket items because it's like, well, I can afford that because I only need to pay half of it because I've got the other half on this gift card, right? They already know now people are going to spend more than the gift card is probably even worth. And that's a nice thing. I'm always amazed as somebody who is kind of a last minute Christmas shopper, you go to the stores on December 24th, December 23rd, and you go to the gift card aisle and they're just empty. It was like everybody panicked at the last minute and just started pounding the gift cards and stuff like that, which I think is interesting. And yet still, I bet you gift cards maybe have a 90 to 99% yield rate, right? Isn't the ultimate one for one rate just cash? And is it acceptable to give people cash, Don, or is that just the ultimate, that's not thoughtful? At least if I got you a McDonald's gift card, I was thinking about your love of milkshakes or chicken McNuggets, and therefore I had thought in there. Whereas cash just still feels too cold, too dirty, too insensitive. I absolutely loved cash as a child, and it made me I think about all the things I could potentially do with it. 
And then the ever coming insistence of my parents that I put it in the bank, which was the nightmare and of course the correct decision. My sons would love cash because I have one that would save it in a heartbeat and the other that would spend it in a heartbeat, but it's still, it's their decision, which is very capitalistic. So I do like cash, but I mean, I could never give cash to my wife and say like, oh, here's some number of dollars. She would just say, oh gosh, I guess you care nothing and I will put this money in the bank. I mean, that's a challenge. Yes, it is, especially when it's half her money anyways. Sorry, I took out your money and I gave it to you. Merry Christmas. Yes, from our joint bank account, here's some of the money that we both have. Now go deposit it. It would just be homework. It would not be well-received. Do you think we could ever get to a point where, Don, let's just say you and I had an honest conversation as if we were going to exchange gifts. But let's just say I said, Don, I was planning on getting you this sweater and it's $90. And you said, well, Zach, I was planning on getting you this jacket. It's $100. And then I just said, well, Don, why don't we get each other nothing and you just give me $10, which is the difference of what you were going to spend. Wouldn't that just make Christmas that much more efficient for everybody? I think the economist would love it. But I think the idealist in me would say, I know Zach pretty well. And I know he really enjoys to read. And there's this one book that I absolutely loved that I think he'd really enjoy because he's interested in this stuff as well. So I want to spend $12 on this book, but I think he'll get a lot of enjoyment out of it. This is not to say that I enjoy receiving books. Sometimes people that give me books that don't know me well, just give me books that I think are homework. But I think it's about the thought and the feeling, regardless of the value. I would agree with that because every year there's one or two or three things that I'll see and I will think of somebody specifically and I will get really excited about buying it for them. And I could care less about what they value it at just because, again, I I think that they would like something. And I would totally agree with what you're saying there. I think sometimes what's hard is the obligation factor where you feel like you've got to shop throughout the extended family. And obviously, because you don't want to make anybody feel like they're being shortchanged, but then you just feel like, man, I just don't know where to go this year for that person. And that's kind of what makes it hard. I would also just say that Christmas is magic for little kids. My children, who are still very young, get excited about still just opening stuff, right? They would rather have the quantity of packages, even if there's just a sock in there. There's still magic there. There's still magic behind how stuff actually arrived into our house, the magic of feeding reindeers with cookies and stuff like that. And all of that, I still think you can't really put a price on. But I got to assume as kids are getting older and as they are figuring out the mysteries of the world and kind of how things work, there's sort of an entitlement factor there, right? The items that they're asking for are now in the hundreds, if not thousands of dollars. And families on budgets and families that want to make magic happen, all of a sudden this becomes a major ordeal and a major chore that feels maybe more exhausting than magical. Would you agree with that? I could agree with that. I think it's an idea, at least for my kids right now, it is an idea of what could I ask for that I would not normally get? What would be a gift that I could get that was not something that fits within the normal parameters of something that I need? I think that's kind of about it. But I do have a question for you about your kids. When your two are opening up gifts, because yours are a little younger than mine, do they open up their gift and stare at the other gift the other child is opening? Because that's the way it happened in our house. My son Colin would be opening a gift and staring, not the gift in his hands, because he already had control of that, but what did his brother get? That's the way it looked. (laughs) The lust, right? 
Exactly. Um, I have this in my hands. What did the other one, what did he get? Because I want to make sure that it's not as good as the one that I have underneath my hands. Or I'm going to start calculating the dead weight loss right now, right? What, what do I value this? And what is my brother, what am I going to value my brother's gift at? Who's loved more? Who gets more attention? Let's fight for this right now. For the most part, we've been, we're still pretty young in our house and our kids have a general sense that kind of everything ends up getting shared anyways. So we do make them go one at a time to open things and look at each other's stuff. For the most part, we're still at a point of not looking over our shoulder what the other person's getting. Instead, it's asking, is this one for me? Is this one for me? Is this one for me? And so you end up kind of half watching your kid open a gift while you're also trying to help the other child read their name, especially those grandparents or aunts and uncles that write in cursive. And it's, of course, impossible for them to figure out if it's theirs. Yeah, that seems about right. One of the things that's kind of interesting is this idea of this deadweight loss, right? And the economist, they interviewed him and he just said, look, I know this is kind of a little bit in fun. Ultimately, this isn't going to stop Christmas, but I am just sort of asking the question. And he said, are we in the United States getting $70 billion worth of satisfaction out of the items that we're choosing for others? My answer is no. And Don, I went up and just sort of did a little research this morning and The average person for holiday spending goes into debt for the Christmas season. The average person spends about $1,325 into debt just to make sure they are meeting holiday obligations that they feel they need to meet. And you think about kind of what a drain that is on the individual. That person now has a credit card balance. They're now going to be paying an absurdly high percentage on that debt as they now have to get ready for the holiday season a year from then. And it just seems like, shouldn't we maybe as a nation start promoting more savings then? Or, hey, give somebody the gift of savings. Or, hey, give somebody the gift of not going into debt. Tell them they don't need to get them something this year. Or the $70 billion is actually much more than $70 billion when you think about the opportunity costs and the interest paid and all those things. Yeah, I think it's people feel compelled to get gifts. Again, I think the best gifts I've given have been valued at monetarily valued at less than $20, but it's something that I know the person would really, really like. You know, it's funny. I was just driving the other day and I saw the first sign and usually you see many of these signs. Jesus is the reason for the season. As a kid who, of course, selfishly wanted lots of presents in his name underneath the Christmas tree, I used to sort of laugh at that sign and just sort of say, oh, come on, guys, this is all about gifts and it's all about me. As I get older, I start to more and more respect that sign. And I do think, do you think that sign has more value today as it seems like we've made this holiday more and more about commercialized shopping? Uh, I think that our society is less and less religious every year and that people go to church less, especially in the pandemic. And it probably has less meaning as less people attend church. And it's more of a holiday that's about commercialism and celebration. We have a friend who's a Muslim who celebrates Christmas every year and absolutely loves it. I mean, it's not necessarily about the religion. It's a secular holiday for the most part, in my mind. It does seem to be still the one holiday out of our year that still gets to sort of be a sacred day for our country in terms of most of the stores are still closed. Whereas on Thanksgiving, retail is still humming and rolling. You can still get to a supermarket to buy last minute things for your meal. Christmas, though, 
a lot of the supermarkets, a lot of the stores actually close for that one day. And it does still make it kind of a special day. I think you do see traffic kind of come to a halt. It's pretty quiet or outside. And I still think that brings a lot of meaning. And obviously you have families that are hanging out. Now you could say, well, they're hanging out, but they're watching basketball all day and they're still eating a high calorie meal. But I do think you know, Christmas is still kind of a special day. This is still the one time that I do think magic still kind of happens, especially for young people. And that's something that I just think is kind of special. I can still remember believing and just being amazed that all of a sudden there was all this stuff under a tree when you woke up in the morning. Oh, yeah, certainly it's special. And the uh, we know a Jewish family that absolutely loves it because the theaters are open and nobody's going to see movies. Yeah, no, that's a good point, too. You're right. There's still a lot of people that don't celebrate the day uh, and, and find their own way to make it special. And uh, I don't know. I just think that it's an interesting article. I think the holiday season in general is interesting as now it sort of gets rolling all the way. And of course, until New Year. And it will just be sort of interesting to watch kind of how we handle it this year as a country. And uh, hopefully better times are coming ahead for everybody. All I want is a vaccine injection for myself and my family. Yes. And uh, do you think when, as we get towards like spring break season, I guess, in spring, do you think people are going to be able to safely travel then? Or do you think this thing's going to, it's really going to have to wait until maybe September or this time next year before life returns to normal? Dr. Fauci seemed to think the majority of Americans are getting a, a vaccine by March or April, which makes my spring break plans probably fairly meager. But my summer plans are starting to come together in my mind. I want to take the California trip that we didn't take last year. So, yeah, I think things will be more normalish as next fall approaches. Well, that was what my mom kind of suggested when we spoke on the phone is like, look, it's just a day, but that doesn't mean we can't have Thanksgiving in June or July. And I was like, yeah, that's true. It doesn't mean you can't have a, a big family meal at any time in the year. And I do wonder if that will bring people together when it's maybe a little bit safer and stuff like that. Ooh, all that turkey and stuffing on a sweaty July day. Oof. But as I proposed to you in a podcast earlier, thanks of July, why can't it be barbecue and coleslaw and salad, something green, right? That's not a bad idea. We can do that too. Well, those are a couple of interesting articles. I will definitely be posting their links onto our, our show notes. And uh, Don, I hope you and your family have a wonderful holiday season. And I look forward to talking with you next week. Absolutely. And the same to you. Thanks, Don. Bye-bye.